Please turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy as we begin our study in this book. We've been going through the pastoral epistles. We've done 1 Timothy, now with 2 Timothy, and we will finish this series with Titus later on in the fall. Before we go to the text, we'll be looking at all of chapter 1 today. Before we go to that text, let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask for his help with it. Our Lord Jesus, as we continue looking at these instructions that you've given to your church, how we should live, what we should believe concerning you, we pray that you would help us because, Lord, we often do not want to live as you have told us to. We often want to believe our own truth concerning you, and yet we are corrected by your word. And so help us, Lord, to be corrected, change our hearts. Help us to flee from sin, convict us of sin, Uh, teach us from your word, give us wisdom. It's in your name we pray, amen. So as I read this text, it made me think of how growing up I learned to start and loved to start fires. Um, You can only imagine. Learning to start a fire is a survival skill, right? So... Uh, not that we're in any sort of survival situation, but it's a good skill to know. Uh, learn the way that every boy learns to do this with a giant pile of sticks and a bottle of charcoal lighter. And um, that was too easy, so I started trying to use less and less um, fire-starting implements to start a fire, and eventually I could start a fire with just a few sparks. It kind of became a game to me. But since then, I've reverted to the whole pile of sticks, charcoal lighter method, again, because it's easier. Um, We actually had a fire in our yard last night, a controlled fire pit type fire, nothing crazy. Um, But Paul talks about fire in this text today, telling Timothy that he is to fan into flames the gift that he has been given. And it brought to mind those times that I would, like, blow on a fire, hoping to see it flare up. Sometimes I would just blow the fire out, right? Sometimes I might blow the grass and the paper that I was using to start the fire. I would just blow it everywhere. Uh, Sometimes the fire might start up really quickly and then quickly burn out because the wood was super dry and there there was no other substance to the fire. Sometimes it would start really slow, gradually build up to this really nice big fire. I think we can all understand this figure of speech that Paul is using here. Timothy has a gift that he needs to use and that needs to be used. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a gift that he's yet to use to its fullest extent, and now with Paul going away, all eyes are on him to do so. Paul is going to be going away soon after writing this, this, um, this letter because it's, it's, it's a tough situation for Timothy to be in. And so Paul gives him these opening words of encouragement and comfort. Not just to put his mind at ease either, make sure we understand that, but it's to call him to action. The gift that he has is a precious thing, and it should be used for the Lord's work. And I think we can all relate with this to one degree or another. God has a calling for each one of us, whether it's to be a preacher or teacher like Timothy, to be a discipler in the home or outside of the home, to be a witness to Jesus Christ wherever you are and whatever you're doing. And to serve the church, all of us have been given some measure of that sort of calling. We have all been 
given a measure of his goodness also in order to in order to do that call. And so as we look through this text, and we'll see the call to do that, but we'll also see the snares that bind us in that, the things that could easily keep us from serving the Lord and seeing his kingdom go forth. And so as we look at this text, I want to look at three main ideas, Timothy's legacy of faith, Paul's charge of boldness, and then the deposit entrusted to us. And so with that, let's read the text, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's stand together as we read from God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience and, re- and I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of, ha- of my hands, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that, I have, that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he has refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the day of the Lord. And you will all know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So a few words of introduction concerning uh, this book of Second Timothy. This is the last letter that Paul has recorded in the scriptures. Shortly after this, uh, Paul became a statistic in the persecutions under Nero, along with Peter and many, many others. He was, uh, he was killed under Nero, executed. Another man mentioned in this text, Onesiphorus, was also likely martyred. And he probably, even before the letter was written, because you can see the tone of the text and maybe the, the fact that it's 
past tense is used of him. And later on in the book, we see a very similar kind of idea used of him. So Paul was writing this in the midst of believers dying. He was in prison there in Rome, writing this to Timothy, and he had to know that his number would come up soon and that he was going to be called to the execution block. So we should see this letter then as a bit of a farewell discourse for Paul. These are his last words that he would give to the church. So they should be seen as such, not that they hold any kind of higher authority or anything, but a person's last words should be much different than their other words, especially if they're given the luxury of writing them down. Hopefully we all have that luxury one day. Um, With that, then, we'd expect to see Paul's instructions instructed us in how we should act, given us the important things right before he leaves so that we can be prepared because he's getting ready to leave the church. His church the church is kind of his his baby, right? He's he's planted all these churches and he's raised up all these men and women to disciple people. And so as we go through this book, Second Timothy, I think it's helpful for us to keep that in mind that these are his last words, and his last words particularly to his disciple Timothy. And so with that, let's look at the first idea, Timothy's legacy of faith. So Paul gives us the standard intro there in the first couple of verses and then expresses to Timothy his love for him and his devotion to prayer concerning Timothy. Paul even included his own ancestors here. Um, You know, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. So he's, he's talking about his own ancestors here, underscoring the fact that Paul comes from an ancestry of faith from those in Israel and the tribe of Benjamin who believed in the coming Messiah. Uh, We know that Paul later comes to faith as an adult. Um, However, we still see this family of faith here. And so that when he talks about Timothy's faith then, what does he do? He does the same thing, right? He talks first about his grandmother and then his mother. He, He says, I remember your tears and I long to see you. That I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Two women in his life, Lois and Eunice, taught Timothy about Jesus, the Messiah. And so it's for this reason, the faith of his mother and his grandmother who must have been extraordinary women of God that Paul knew, that Paul then calls Timothy to do what? As a result of this faith that he must have because of these two women, he calls him then to fan into flame the gift of God that he was given. He qualifies this gift saying that it was through him laying on his hands, which likely points to the fact that he was ordained to the office of minister and elder in the church, particularly a teaching elder in the church. Paul trusts then in the former ministry of his mother and his grandmother to spark this fire, as it were, to Timothy's current ministry. And so I think there's a great truth for us here. The faith that we are entrusting to our children is not in vain. That's good. The Lord is able to bring faith to bear on the lives of our children at any time. For some, thankfully, they just always love the Lord. They start young, 
They keep going. This is a real blessing when we see this in our children, right? When, when they just have never not known the Lord, they've never not had a time where they didn't love the Lord and were, were seeking Him out and wanting to learn more about Him. It's a real blessing for mom and dad. Uh, for others, it takes a period of growth and seasoning. It takes some ups and downs. It takes periods of belief and unbelief, doubts and struggles. I know that I've gone through these things myself. I know that many of you have as well, for sure. And I wish my children would only ever believe, right, and only that, it would, that their walk of faith it would only ever be easy for them. But we know that for most of us this isn't realistic, right, because we are sinful people and we doubt and we struggle. For whatever reason, the majority of us need those embers that were first lit through the teaching of our parents and our grandparents We need those embers that just happen to be stuck around, thankfully, because of the Lord's goodness. We need those fanned into flame. And frankly, we need those fanned into flame over and over again. Because we easily forget. We forget. We easily lose hope. We easily look at the enemy and we think he has finally won when he hasn't and he won't. It should bring hope to those of us who are parents. Hopefully that does. The things that we are teaching our children will one day take root in their hearts and change the way they look at life. That is the hope for every Christian parent as they teach their children. Again, I'm not necessarily talking even about a conversion experience here, but more of that moment, even as a young Christian child, to see their faith as something that they have to own and they have to tend for themselves. That is a good moment. Um, For me, it happened when I was 18 years old. I hope and pray it happens to my children at a much younger age. They don't see the the badness that we had to go through as as older teenagers to, to have to worry about that. And I think also for us as a church, let's look at a broader application here. This idea of fanning into flame these embers that may exist. I think the size of our church, as we are a small church, may be a deterrent to some. But the Lord is more than capable of doing what? Fanning into flame a church that is faithful to the scripture and loves one another. He is more than capable of doing that. So this is an encouragement to us to not grow weary of doing good. To not grow weary of being faithful in the small things. Of doing what he commands. Of teaching the scriptures. Of worshiping him as he would have us to worship him. Keep inviting folks to church. Keep talking with folks about Jesus. Keep living the life that we ought to live. And the Lord will bless us. He may bless us with more folks. He may bless us with new opportunities. He may bless us with more patience. So let's be ready to do and to receive what the Lord has for us, brothers and sisters. Next we'll look at Paul's charge to boldness. So why should Timothy fan into flame his faith? What truth is going to help him do that? Have you ever been told, hey, you just need to be on fire for the Lord? Well, okay, how? How do I do that? Well, Paul starts with verse 7. He says, this is how you can do this. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We're not given a spirit of fear. 
which is something that Timothy may have struggled with because Paul has regularly talked to him about that. Rather, we are given the tools to go out among the world, power, love, and self-control. Now, a lot of times when we see this word fear in the text, the the Greek text is actually the word where we get our word phobia, uh, that sort of fear, but this word is actually different. This is a different kind of fear. This is a type of fear that denotes like running from battle, fleeing from the enemy, and leaving your fellow soldiers behind in doing so. It has a much more negative feel to it than the other types of fears that we've been looking at. Almost like forsaking your post, treasonous, really. So the kind of, this kind of fear obviously is not a gift of the Spirit. Rather, we are given gifts that are the exact opposite of that. We are given gifts in order to do battle, as it were. Power. What does that mean? Well, it's just the ability. He's given us the ability to do what we should do. Love. Compassion not to turn away, but to help. And self-control. To stay calm under the worst kind of pressure the world might deal out. These are the kinds of things that the Spirit gives us. Power. Love. Self-control. And he continues... There in verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Since you've been given this, then don't be ashamed of, of it. Don't be a testimony of, or don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Apparently many were afraid to associate with Paul. We read this here. We can read about this in the book of Acts as well. When he was in Rome, because of his persecutions under Nero, Christians were dying. Paul is a marked man, obviously one of the marked men in the church, a prize for the, for the opposition. So folks probably assumed that being seen near Paul was to welcome death. Most assuredly it was. And so only a few stuck close to him. And eventually he was alone. So the next few verses then, we are in, that, in those verses we get this idea that don't be ashamed of me, Paul, but don't be ashamed of your faith. And then we have this long sentence concerning the work of Christ that should embolden us then rather than cause us to act out in fear. And you can just read this. This talks about exactly what Christ did to us. He saved us. He called us to a holy calling because of his purpose rather than our works. So he found no fault with us because of what Jesus did for us. And when did he do this? This is what's most fascinating and encouraging to me. When did he do this for us? Before the ages began, but now are manifest in Christ Jesus. He has abolished death. How did he do that? By being risen from the dead, he abolished death. He brought life instead of death. He brought immortality. He brought light through the gospel. This is incredible, right? When we read these words, this is a statement of our faith. Let's not take for granted these truths just because we hear them every week. 
that Jesus Christ, before the ages began, chose us to be his and to be bold in his service. And it wasn't because he thought we'd be good at it. Make sure we understand that too. He wasn't he didn't pick the best soldiers or this would be a small gathering. It was because he was good at it. He chose me. It was because he was good and he was merciful and gracious that he chose me, someone who was going to struggle and doubt for his whole life. He was the greatest minister ever, the best person to ever live, and yet he uses us before the ages began, and he decided how he would use us. And so what should this truth then cause us to do? It should cause us to rejoice, to know that it isn't at all anything that I can do that's going to add to his kingdom. It's not anything that I can do that's going to add to my righteousness or my standing before him. It should cause us to have hope. It should also cause us to be bold in our faith because we have nothing to lose. We can't lose the things that the Lord of creation has given to us. He doesn't lose anything. And if we're going to lose, wouldn't it have already happened, right? We've all done things worthy of God's wrath, yet we are still here. Why is that? Because Jesus loves us. So how should we respond? In boldness, carrying forth his message of truth. Now, a lot of times when we think about boldness, we normally think of, you know, fear of sharing your faith and don't be afraid of talking about your faith. And that's good. And I think that's that's right. But this boldness is more than that. It's a boldness to live out your life the way that you should without a fear of persecution or judgment from man. We live as we ought to because we've been told to live that way by our Lord and Savior. The fear of man should not be a thing that enters into our lives. This is a boldness to pray and to seek the favor of God rather than man. Because the favor of man lasts how long? A season. At best, the favor of God, because of what Jesus did for us, lasts for eternal eternity. This is a boldness to read and question and study the scriptures more than ever before, right? Because they really are the words of God. They really do mean something for our lives today. We have to have boldness to go to the scriptures and look at them, question them, study them. The boldness that we have in Christ is the boldness to follow him in all that we do. Every single facet of our lives should be covered in the way that we believe about Jesus and the things that he has told us to do. Rather than bowing to the world's expectations, we bow to the will of our Savior and the dictates of his word. We should be a people who are different because we are the people of God, setting aside or set aside before the ages began to be his and to do as he commands. And that brings us to the last point, the deposit entrusted to us. Look then at verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. 
When I read that, I almost want to sing it. You know, if you've sang that hymn before, you just you want to sing that hymn because it's such a great hymn of the faith. What is Paul attesting to here? He's attesting to his own belief in Christ, which has been shaped by his trials and the tribulations of his life, the things that are the life that is now coming to a close. And so what is he then commanding Timothy to do? The same thing. Look at verses 13 and 14. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the sound words you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Follow the pattern of sound words. Follow the doctrine that I teach, the doctrine of the church of Jesus Christ. Guard this deposit that I've given you. Again, Timothy, you have been given a great gift. Rather than bury it and wait for the master's return, Paul has called him to fan it into flames. Guard here is not like a bury and sit on it idea, but rather do well with it. See it flourish. Paul then lists a few who have turned away. He then lists this man again, Onesiphorus, likely a martyr of the faith. They are both pictures of this faith that we've been called to. Will Will we be the ones who have been considered fallen away? Or will we be the ones who have taken the faith to the very end of our lives, whether we end martyred, likely not, or whether we just end at the end of our days when the Lord has chosen to take us home, will we then be considered faithful? I remember those days as a young Christian. I think we all do. Very much like the pile of sticks covered with charcoal lighter all over it. We were on fire for God. You've all heard that before, right? Burned with a very hot flame for a time, but once all the fuel burned out that you'd sprayed on there, once all that fuel burned out and difficulty came, I began to struggle with my faith. And so were it not then for the influence of the church in my life, I might have been lost. But the church, particularly a few individuals, the ministry of one of the the local churches here, Hardin Baptist, they led me back into the fold through the faithful preaching of the word, the faithful ministry of brothers and sisters in my life. So over the years, working in churches and seeing lots of Christians all over the country, I think we've all had these ups and downs. I have. We all do. We need to fan into flame our faith because we all grow weary. Doing the Christian life well and ministering well takes fortitude Patience, And it's something that we are not born with. It's something we have to grow into. We have to work on it. We have to work for it. The more we serve Christ, the more that we are bold in our faith, the more that we'll want to continue to be. So let that be an encouragement for you. So in conclusion, let this also be a challenge for us, church, as we begin with this book. Let us, as a church... Fan into flame the fire that was first in us. We desire strongly a reformed church in Murray, a church that is faithful to the preaching of the word, a, faith, a church that's faithful to the right worship of God. We want people in Murray, Kentucky to know Jesus. 
Right? And so then let us be bold with that. The Lord has greatly provided for us. It's incredible to think of how we've all been brought together to do his work. So we'd be a fool to say otherwise. And so then let us take that which he has given us, that great gift that he has given us, this deposit that has been entrusted to us, and let us fan it into flames. Let us live boldly for the sake of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we consider the call to the church, as we consider Paul's call here to Timothy, let us take it to heart. We are so quickly able to lose hope, so quickly able to lose focus. But Lord, you love us anyway, and you, you care for us. You give us hope. You, you are merciful to us. So Lord, we pray for grace abounding that we might be bold in our faith, that people might hear the gospel and they might know and call out to you the only one who can save them. We are thankful that you are now with the Father. You are not dead, but you are risen. You are with the Father, and so then we have hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen.